And ho-hum, we're here for a uh, very special edition, kind of an emergency edition of Stick to Hockey Live, kind of after dark, and it's starting to get a little dark here because <laughs> there's a tea storm blowing in. Yeah, and it's, you know what's hilarious is I remember this morning, I was just finished up breakfast, and you shot me a text and said, let's punt this week, I don't think there's much to talk about, and I said, yeah. oh yeah, and I was actually at the gym, I was in between sets on my, I think it was Dumbbell Flies or Dumbbell Press, oh, nice. and then I got nice. some texts like, oh, you better start working in on this, and then that was around one fifteen. I think I got that, it was actually a call I got, and uh, next thing you know, all hell kind of broke loose in Philly uh, this afternoon. Yeah, and uh, I know you were the first to report it, and I've been Provorov, and all your stuff's at thefourthperiod.com. And I'm Provorov's no longer a Philadelphia Flyer. All said and done, and seven seasons as a Flyer, you know, played every game except three in the one year, and he only missed those games because he was asymptomatic COVID. That was in the 21-22 season. He's the guy that answered the bell, played every game, played 24 minutes and five seconds of ice time, average in the seven years this year, had a 41-point season in year two, had a 36-point season with Matt Niskanen in 1920, uh, but he is no longer a Philadelphia Flyer. 26-year-old seventh overall pick, traded to Columbus. Were you shocked that this deal happened first and foremost when it happened during the supposed unwritten rule of not making a trade during the cup final? Yeah, I, I think it came out left field. Like I had spoken to someone with the Flyers last week and I was told that tire kicking had started, no firm offers. Uh, I'm going to hope to do a bit more digging on how this deal came together. But I mean, it, it really did come over the top rope in a lot of ways in between game two and game three of the Stanley Cup final. And it's a massive, massive trade, right? Like this isn't just a, you know, uh, trading a depth guy for a, a third round pick or whatever. This is a big monumental shifting move for the Flyers. And I don't say that because I think that, you know, Ivan Provorov is this irreplaceable player or the face of the franchise by any stretch. But you look at the haul and the amount of assets the Flyers got back. So they get the first round pick, the second round pick in 2024. There, there's a big confusion on the 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 second second round pick. Like, what was it's? A, is it a conditional? Is that it? It's In not conditional, but have to be notified at the draft after uh, of, of whether they're going to actionable the pick to twenty four or twenty five. Okay, the and thing it's about and it. it's up to the Flyers or the Jackets. Yeah, it's a, it's termed a conditional second round pick. It says Columbus must inform the Flyers which year they elect to trade the 24 or 25 immediately following the first round of the 24 NHL draft. So they won't okay. know that until after the first round of next year's draft. So all of the sudden, the Flyers, they still don't have a second round pick this year, but they get an additional first round pick. You have two third round picks. So you have four picks of the top 30 in, in the top uh, three rounds, rather. Then next year, you have two first-round picks and two second-round picks. So all of a sudden, the Flyers are really starting to stockpile assets, and we could get into you know later in the show about what else they could do. And then you look, they bring in a former second-round pick in the defenseman. Um, I, what's, I can't pronounce the name. Is it? Uh, <laughs> it's a tough one, and I had to ask Bill for help. It's Helgi Granz. Helgi Granz. I'm not kidding you. When I got the text that it was him, I thought it was a typo and I thought that it was just one last name. I swear to God, there was actually a guy. 
It was there was actually a guy because I started looking at uh, LA's roster and I found this other guy. I was just like, is it this guy? And it was just like, no, 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 that's his full name, Helgi Drawn. So you get a bigger right shot defenseman, which obviously the Flyers really need. And then you look at the two roster players that they get in Sean Walker and Cal Peterson. Now, obviously, Cal Peterson, that's a roster, uh, a, a salary dump if I've ever seen one. That's where I think that the uh, the second round pick comes in for the Flyers to take him on. And then I think you're getting Helgi Granz because you're bringing in Sean Walker. But the thing is, is that Sean Walker is a decent depth defenseman in the NHL. A solid number five, can slot in on your right pair, uh, on your on the right side of your third pair, rather. And he's on an expiring contract. And that guy could probably get you another third, fourth round pick at next year's trade deadline. So, I mean, I'll by just the time... Run to the post, Rangers. Yeah, exactly. And I think that he may be a Justin Braun type of player. Maybe not Justin Braun the last year or two, but maybe early on in his Flyers career. I, I do think that you're, you could walk away from this with four draft picks, three of which being rather significant. For a guy that um, has an expiring contract in two years, he has two years left as Ivan Provorov. And a lot of people believe he wasn't going to resign here anyway. Wasn't happy. Likes to play the power play. Probably not going to play the power play in Columbus either, by the way. They got a guy nope. on the blue line named Zach Wierenski. If he's healthy, he's going to be on the PP. Um, but and he's got to go play for Mike Babcock, presumably. Um, so there's a lot to unpack here. Um, let's first and foremost start with this, though, because, you know, they swing this deal, like you said, between games two and three of the cup final. And I always think it's important for a GM in sports that, you know, even though there's these artificial unwritten rules, don't moratoriums and all that, Sometimes you got to just make the deal when you feel like you got the best deal you can get. And if you wait, you know, Yarmo Kekalina or Rob Blake could have found another trade partner and found something better. Screw the unwritten rule. Get what you can when you can get it. And you have a deal, you have a deal. Get it done. And they and Danny Breer did that. And it kind of signals to me, Ant, that this is a GM that's not afraid to put his cheese on the line, not afraid to make a decision, not afraid to make a big decision right out of the gate and, you know, begin this rebuild properly. Yeah, and I think that the Flyers are in a position where they can't be trying to, you know, do the right thing and abide by unwritten rules. Exactly. And, you know, I was speaking to someone yesterday, and we were kind of talking about how there's going to be another year, the flat cap, only going up by $1 million, and how that was probably advantageous to the Flyers, because why did they need the immediate cap space? And I was thinking it more in the way of, you know, negotiating with their RFAs, or maybe trying to find a team to take on Ryan Ellis and dump a shorter-term deal, something like that. But you see in this trade, the Flyers got a lot more assets because of the Los Angeles Kings wanting to dump salary. And obviously, you've heard the report. Uh, Dave Pagnotta has mentioned it. Kevin Weeks has mentioned it, that they are working on a Gavrikov extension that probably will get done. So they needed to get out from the the Peterson money and get out from the, the Sean Walker contract. And all of a sudden the flyers walk away with an, an additional draft pick. They walk away with a decent prospect, a right shop defenseman. And who knows if Columbus gives up a first and a second round pick, if it is not for getting Provov at, at $4.75 million, which I mean, you know that people hate Ivan Provorov and that he's kind of become the whipping boy here for the last 12 to 18 months or so. But him at less than 5 million bucks is a hell of a deal. And to be honest with you, 
he was probably worth in that six million dollar range. And I think that the Flyers or the the Jackets rather being able to part with a first and second goes to show that maybe contrary to popular belief, Ivan Provorov is still a highly thought of defenseman in the NHL. Here's the thing about Provorov. Two things. Number one, you know he's going to be in the lineup. Availability is the best ability. He will be in the lineup. That's because seven years in the NHL, missing three games because of asymptomatic COVID tells you that. Number two, he's had some really good years. I mean, you look at his second year in the NHL, and I mean, in 82 games, 17 goals, 24 assists, 41 points. And then in 1920, alongside Matt, and that was alongside Ghost, by the way. I mean, imagine having to make up for Ghost lack of defense, too. And yep. he still had a great year, played over 24 minutes a night. And then in 1920 with Niskanen in 69 games, he had 36 points, 13 goals, 23 points. Some people say, well, why did they should have done this last year? You should have traded him last year. So you had these picks and you could have optimized better. His value wasn't this high last year. He recouped some of his league-wide value, didn't he? Yeah, no, I believe so as well. Like, And the other thing about this is that you can look at the analytics, you can look at the point totals, you can look at whatever you want. But John Tortorella coming in and riding Ivan Provorov as hard as he did, I think that that was a contributing factor, and it had people taking notice. And look, Ivan Provorov has not gotten his his play back to where it was in 1920 or 1718. Nobody's saying that. Where I think at that time you could make the case that he was flirting with maybe being a top 10 defenseman in the NHL. But as Danny Breer said in his press conference today, they still believed him to be a top-pairing defenseman, at least on their team. And I do think most teams consider him that. Now, does that mean he's going to go to Columbus and play top pair? No, because primarily I don't think that he's going to play ahead of Zach Warinsky. But, I mean, he's probably going to be eating cl- over 20 minutes a night. Oh, he's probably going to be averaging, depending on the development of David Yerchek, obviously his long-term future could play a big factor in this. But he's probably going to be averaging close to what Zach Warinsky's getting. You're going to be able to divvy up the, the responsibilities of power play and PK and all that. And, you know, you look at that Columbus top four going forward on the back end. And Ooh, you have Warinsky, you have yeah. Yerchek, Bockfist, and Provorov. Like, that's a yeah. really good-looking defense. And I think the fact that they invested that much in Ivan Provorov. Like, look, I've been saying for a while, they were using the Chikrin and the Ekholm deals as kind of a benchmark for what they were looking for. Yeah. And I think they got that. And to be honest, it be, like I've said, I kind of said it on Twitter, I said it with you earlier, in my opinion, the, the first and the second was for Provorov, and then you got a second and the additional guy to take uh, and the additional prospect for the, for, for the salary. But a first and a second round pick for Ivan Provorov, especially in a draft like this, I think that's a pretty good haul. Yeah, it's certainly a bold move from Danny Briere right out of the gate. He, he didn't like, you know, trade a fourth liner, <laughs> you yeah. know, to, yeah. to get things moving. I mean, he went right to the top of the heap. Uh, with the guy who plays the most minutes for him. A guy that's a bit controversial, obviously, for the Pride Night thing and not the most popular teammate in the on the team. Um, wasn't happy, didn't love John Tortorella and because he wasn't seeing power play time. But uh, have fun with Mike Babcock. But, uh, you know, Columbus is a team that's got to kind of shit or get off the pot here because, you know, they make the signing Gaudreau, this big splash, and they have just a clunker of a season. A lot of it had to do with injury. I mean, they were the set even worse than the flyers with injuries this past year. And, but they got to move forward because, and they got to be aggressive because Goudreau's 30. Now he's going to be 30. Yep. You know, you, you got to do this quickly in Columbus. If you want to capture something there 
Because if they get to another year where they're really bad again, now Gaudreau's knocking on 31. Then you're really going, what the hell's going on? They still need goaltending there. But it, it's it's a big move for Columbus. There's a lot of teams in this division at, that are going to make some bold moves this offseason. There's going to be some big-time mistakes made in the Metro. The Pens and Caps are trying to prop up a window with a fucking twig that is closing or is closed because of Ovi and Crosby mocking all those guys. The Islanders got to make something happen. Carolina's got to make something happen. They keep, they're a good team, but they just can't advance all the way to the promised land in the playoffs. So, you know, Rangers probably have to make something happen. They were bold last year at the trade deadline with Kane and all that. So, and Tarasenko. So we'll see where it goes. But, you know, one of the big talking points was Kevin Hayes to Columbus. Is that, you know, obviously Danny and Yarmo have had a lot of conversations to consummate this deal. Is that a deal that could still be likely there in Columbus to send Kevin Hayes there as well? I mean, at this point, I, I, I don't see how it affects anything because I think the Provorov deal took precedent because there were other teams interested. Like I had heard St. Louis had kicked tires. I'm sure, you know, Anthony Sanfilippo has been saying this for almost three years at this point that Winnipeg has liked him. So I think that there was more urgency on Columbus's part to zero in on Provorov. Like I don't think teams are banging down the, whole, the door for Kevin Hayes, yeah. but I do still see a fit there because as you said, they're being aggressive now. They want to win. And you have Warinsky presumably coming back healthy. You have Patrick Liney entering his mid-20s now. Obviously, Johnny Gaudreau, he's now on the wrong side of, of 30 years old. And you want to try and add wet, ready players, guys that could help you win now. And obviously, people are going to say, oh, you know, Kevin Hayes stinks. He's this and that. But he's still a 50-point player, and he's best friends with the best player on the team. And I do think that they're going to do a good job to try and appease Johnny Gaudreau. And I think that you're bringing in a coach like Mike Babcock, who obviously has always had a thing for veterans. He's a coach that has always yeah. trusted his veterans. And I do think that that's an environment and maybe a coach that Kevin Hayes would thrive in. Like his best seasons were under Alain Vigneault. Now, obviously it's not apples to apples with Mike Babcock, but I do think that he it would be a situation where Kevin Hayes would work there. I really think the hiccup here is, is how much of the Flyers are going to retain in salary. I know that they think that if he's a $5 million player, that's fair. And, you know, in a vacuum, I'm sure that's true. You know, I think it's fair to call Kevin Hayes a 50-point player over the average of his career, certainly since uh, coming over to Philadelphia in his last season with the Rangers. But, I mean, in a flat cap world, does that not really mean as much? And the other question is, I believe you've asked this, is will the Flyers prioritize cap space or return? Like if Columbus says we'll give you a third round pick to eat close to half of it, do you consider it? Or do you just, you know, try and retain two, two and a half million to get a fifth round pick? And Columbus, you know, they part with two draft picks today, but they still have a first, they still have a second, they have two thirds, two fourths. So they still do have an extra pick in those third in the third round and the fourth round, which is where they I would play, they need now players. They don't need a draft pick that's gonna pay dividends in four to six years. That's exactly it, especially when you consider the fact that they had a six overall pick last year and they have the third overall pick this year coming. Yeah. And they still do have some younger guys. Like you look at the Seth Jones trade, you look at the Gavrikov and Corpusalo trade, like they've been able to recoup a lot of assets. So now, in my opinion, and what you just said, they can afford to part with some futures to bring in some players that will help them win now. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. Like at, at third overall, that's why I don't see them going Meechkov. No, because they want a guy that can jump into the league much quicker than Leo Carlson. 
that it, could come it, in. Has, it, it has Carlson written all over that. It does uh, over Columbus. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I, so I'm, I'm looking at this and you know, good on Columbus, right? Because you bring in Provorov who I think you could resign there, like even beyond, like, because I, I think that the Morgan Riley contract kind of gives him a cap. I think Riley got eight years at 7.75, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was the exact same thing as uh, Sean Katori, if I'm not, if, I, if I'm correct. So, I mean, and that would make sense because then you have your two left guys long-term. You have your two yep. right guys long-term, presumably with Yurchek and um, and Bockfist. So, I like the deal for Columbus. But from the flyer side, it also shows the creativity of Danny Briere. Because in a flat cap world, you have to be creative. You have to look for third-party brokers to eat some salary and pay extra for draft picks and take advantage of teams who want to get out from salary. And like I said yesterday, I had, or like I said, I had heard yesterday, the Flyers are probably one of the few teams that are benefiting from a flat cap. And I think this deal is indicative of it. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, I think, you know, there's two scenarios you brought up in regards to Kevin Hayes. I think it's the former, not the latter. I think it's they would take more short-term pain now to get a better return and for long-term gain. And yeah. I, so I think they would eat more salary to get a better prospect or a pick or whatever it is to help Columbus in that regard now because Columbus needs to go now. And I, I think that that would be more likely. I think that's what Danny kind of signaled today. And to your point too, you know, this is not – a chalk NHL trade. This is a three-teamer salary retention. LA's holding 30% of Provorov's contract. You know, there's salary dumps. This is not just a, hey, we'll send this guy here. You send us this pick and this player prospect or whatever. This is a complicated trade to pull off. For this to be the first one that he pulls off, I think is is really interesting. It's, it's I, I've said this about Danny. You know, he is such a gentleman. And such a classy guy, but make no mistake, he is a killer. <laughs> yeah. He is that you know, he may sh you know shower you with kindness and amenability, but you cannot underestimate his his competitiveness. And who knows how long this has been going back, right? I mean, this could okay. be from the GM meetings right after he was hired, where's where this started and culminates here. So um that that's the thing. It feels like Ant, like kind of, I don't want to say the flyers of the past because there was a lot of mistakes, but it is a bold move and kind of Danny announcing to the NHL and doing the move when he did it during the cup final. Like, Hey, I'm open for business and you know, we're going to drive some, some value here because we do have some valuable pieces. This notion from flyers, Twitter is everything is shit. And <laughs> It's just not the fact there's yeah. there is value here and value to be moved. And I think that's what you see with Ivan Provorov. Like he brought back, <clears throat> pardon me, a very good haul and you bring up Danny Briere, like how he had to be kind of aggressive and a, and a fierce competitor. And I do think that's something that was missing in the last rebuild. And it is kind of poetic, right? That Ivan Provorov is the first guy to go in this new rebuild for the Flyers. Because if you think back, like he was the first and arguably biggest draft pick that they had in the Hextall rebuild when they really went down that road because it was the first like pick that Hextall had 
after having a full calendar year on the draw. Like technically, I know Sanheim was his first pick, but it yeah. was really like the the overall pick that really got everyone excited, myself included. I was so stoked about that pick. And for Danny Briere here, I think that you need that aggressiveness. Like in the last rebuild with Ron Hextall, and I know that, you know, you heard the rumors that he didn't have the green light to move on from Giroud and Voracek, but whoever made those decisions and made the final call not to be aggressive and move on from your players in your primes, that was the fatal mistake. Because if had you been aggressive and moved on from players back then who were in their mid-20s, like a Giroud or Voracek or a Simmons or whoever, you could have kick-started it like this. And I think that was is very important because this Provorov deal has set the tone for what the Flyers want. Whether you like Provorov or not, whether you think he was an, a top-pairing defenseman or not, he was one of their better players. He was their best defenseman, and he clearly was a guy who carried a lot of value on the trade market. And being able to be this bold, open up basically the offseason that we haven't even started. You set the market in a lot of ways. And I saw someone else mention this, is that you have now set the tone for a potential Carter Hart deal that we could get into, or yep. maybe even a Travis Konechny deal. Yeah, I mean, I think Konechny is really a hard one for them to part with. They're going to have to go even well beyond, I think, where they went in this trade. I got this tweet from a guy. I just want to... He, he said, you know, when I put out the tweet that we were doing the show tonight, this guy, Brandon Boyer, said, I hope you have some behind-the-scenes info because on its face, it makes no sense. So my reply to him was, what doesn't make sense? you got to go big and bold. If you're going to do a rebuild, you're going to incur risk along the way. If you want to do a rebuild and do it safely, it doesn't really work, right? you got to, to get in, in the NHL with 32 teams – you have got to take some risk. That was the thing I think that Chuck Fletcher failed at was the fact that he was a highly intelligent guy, smart hockey guy, but he could talk himself out of anything because there's always risk involved. And he would analyze it, overanalyze it, and it would it would almost like, just prevent him from being able to pull the trigger. Danny didn't show that right away. No. I, and the thing is, is that I don't even really think there's a massive risk here. Like, where's the risk? Like, maybe Cal Peterson is your risk. And we I mean, can I think, kind of... I think the risk is 26-year-old defenseman that plays every game and plays over 25 minutes a night. I think that's the risk element. Well, they're yeah. not a better I... team today without him than they, they were yesterday. They're what? They're not a better team today than no. they were yesterday. No, and I, and I believe this was mentioned, the presser, by either someone asking questions or Briere himself. But, I mean, like... It's going to be a lot of minutes to try and divvy up here. Yeah. And we had done this over while the season was still going on, where you look at how many PK minutes he eats per game. I think he averaged almost three minutes a game on the man event, uh, down a man rather. Yeah. And the next guy closest to him was Ristolainen, who had almost a minute less on the PK per game. Wow. And a lot of times Ristolainen hard was- minutes. Playing, yeah, hard minutes. And a lot of times Provorov was playing with Ristolainen on the PK because Ristolainen's the right shot. So now you got to find a left shot guy to eat a lot of hard minutes on the penalty kill. Now, I'm sure Sanheim will take some. I'm sure uh, York will get a, few, a lot of looks there. You still have Sealer kicking around. I really think that Igor Zamula is going to be tasked with a lot of the Provorov defensive minutes. I think he's a guy that, you know, physically and maybe stylistically, theoretic, theoretically should fit those types of minutes. So but what, it is Zamula and York? 
Yeah, I mean, because here's the thing. Like, Sanheim isn't a very good special teams defenseman. He never really has been, whether that be power play or PK. So I think you're going to see Sanheim take a lot of the pro overall five-on-five minutes. And I think at times over the last two seasons, Sanheim has played more five-on-five than pro overall. So that shouldn't be an issue. And So I really think here you're going to see uh Zamula and York both split these minutes but I like I mean we're way far out and a lot of other dominoes can fall but I think you're probably going to see Igor Zamula and Rista line and eat a lot of the PK minutes and then after that you're probably going to see Sean Walker with either York or maybe Sanheim sparingly yeah and this moves York obviously back to his natural side on the left side played a lot in the on the offside on on the right side last year did did decent there but if he's going to be, you know, a top pairing guy, and he's never going to defend like Ivan Provorov, that's not his game. Um, really calm in the D zone, but uh, doesn't have the same defensive ability. So, who you partner him with, if he's going to be a top pairing guy that's got to deal with a top line every night, is going to be paramount. But that's not for now. That's, you know, in the big picture, if you're culminating towards a perennial playoff team and a, a true cup contender year in and year out. Let's talk about Cal Peterson because, you know, a couple of years ago, Ant, he was the heir apparent to Jonathan Quick. Matter of fact, in his first 54 games in the NHL, he broke in in 18-19. And so that season, 19-20 and 20-21, his first 54 games in the league, this guy had a 9-16 save percentage, two seven nine goals against average. Record wasn't good. Team wasn't good. Playing behind a bad team, he was playing pretty darn well. Last two years, though, it's fallen off in a big way, 8-95 and 21-22 in this past year. I mean, they'd go out and get Corpusalo. He spent the year basically in the minors, only played 10 NHL games, had an 868 and a 375 goals against average on an improving Kings team. And he comes here 28 years old, maybe a bit of a reclamation project um, that you can put with the Phantoms, provided that Carter Hart's still here. And I know a lot of people have been dying for us to get to this part of the equation because there's been a lot of chatter today. Like today was going to be a Richards Carter type day. And it was going to be Ivan Provorov and Carter Hart instead of Richards Carter moved on the same day. There's a lot of teams being mentioned, whether it's Toronto, Ottawa, you know, teams that need goaltending. I mean, L.A. would frankly be a team that could fit the bill. But Cal Peterson and how he fits is going to be determined ultimately by how the Flyers deal with Carter Hart and what kind of offers come in if they can be, you know, moved to be able to enough to be able to, to deal them. Yeah, so obviously my tweet was one one of them that blew up. Dave Pagnotas as well, that we mentioned that they were working on a deal for Carter Hart. Now, probably poor writing on my part, so I will take my, some, uh, some blame there. I probably could have worded that better, especially given the sensitivity of the trade subject today. But working on the trade doesn't mean that it was imminent or anything was done or official. It quite it literally meant... Yeah, uh, quite literally worked, uh, meant what I wrote is that they're working on a trade for hard. And I think that at this point, it's I would be relatively surprised if he's here beyond July 1st. It really feels like something's going to get done here. I've heard Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa as the teams that have interest in him. And that would make sense why there is maybe some delay because you have Toronto with a new general manager in Brad Tree Living who presumably would have to get rid of Matt Murray to make any type of deal work. 
You have the Ottawa Senators, who I've said all along make the most sense for Carter Hart. Like, it feels like the only thing missing from that team from a long-term perspective is a goaltender. But Hellebuck there, too, made sense, yeah. Hellebuck makes sense. I think Hart maybe fits their trajectory a bit better Mm -hmm. age-wise. I mean, they had Philip Gustafson. They trade him for Talbot, so whoops. But now now you have a chance to get Carter Hart. I don't know if you're going to get a better chance to get your hands on a goaltender. It's really the whole owner thing there is a... You know, the sale. Well, that's the other thing is that a lot of people have speculated that once the ownership, the the transition of ownership goes through, Pierre Dorio might be out. And maybe you see a brand new hockey ops department, a new coaching staff. So is that? And then Montreal makes a lot of sense, too, because, again, you need a stable goaltender while you're transitioning through a rebuild and maybe coming out of one. And Montreal didn't have to tear it down completely to the studs because Kent Hughes and uh, Jeff Gordon inherited Nick Suzuki. They inherited Cole Caulfield, some of the guys on the back end, too, and Keen Gooley. So, I mean, Carter Hart would make sense there as well. So. I'm sorry if my tweet made people think that a deal was happening today or tomorrow or it was already agreed upon. It just quite literally meant that they're working on a deal for Carter Hart. And I do think that he may be the next domino to fall, especially given Danny's comments today about them projecting Cal Peterson to have a a good shot in camp because you could have just said like, oh, you know, we don't know if he's going to be here. We could buy him out. We could bury him, whatever. And I had also heard from Peterson's camp is that their agent is expecting Hart to be dealt. So I don't know if any promises or assurances were made, but it sounds like Cal Peterson's camp is of the belief that he's going to get a real look here to have an NHL job next season. And I just can't see that being part of the equation of Hart's here. Yeah, Breyer was asked in his press conference, I have the transcripts in front of me, he said, uh, uh, I'm not sure who asked the question, but um, they said, in the trade, you got back Cal Peterson, the goalie from LA, I guess, where do you see him fitting in, given the fact that at one time, he was uh, regarded very highly, used very highly around the league. Obviously, now it seems like his inclusion was more of a salary dump on LA's part, but where do you see him fitting in with you guys? And he said, well, it's very interesting. We're not sure at the moment. We'll give him a chance. That will make for a healthy competition at camp. It's a little too early to tell where he's going to fit in. But, you know, like you said, he was a good young goaltender. He had an off year last year, and we'll see where he's at. That's a really interesting, you know, answer from him. And then he was immediately followed up about asking about Carter Hart's name being out there. And he said, I was still in the same spot I was. We're open for business. We listen on everybody. Everybody's being treated the same way for us on our side. In other words, I mean – when Hart's name gets out there like that, and then Danny says that, I mean, that is a, you know, when you're on a, a stranded vessel in the middle of the uh, Pacific Ocean and you got no motor, you shoot up a flare. <laughs> like, if you want to get in on this guy, step up because there's a competition for him. I don't know if they'll trade him, but to me, that's what a lot of that part is, is teams line up now and get your best offering because that's, that's ultimately the thing you want the most competition for the services of one of your players yeah and i and i just look at besides travis connectney now what's another guy that could bring in the same return if not more than what you got for Provorov? and it's carter hart he's the guy he's the guy that's going to give you that type of return providing Connect- signs an extension after the deal right yeah i would imagine so like yeah. maybe that's a hold up as well like i i look i again 
I'm sorry if my tweet inferred to some people that it meant that it was done and it was happening, but it just, they're just working on that thing. I think that their attention is turning to that. Now, like, is there other deals that I think that they're going to look to? Like, I think Tony D'Angelo is a guy that does end up getting moved. I don't think Travis Konechny, just because whatever you could get for him, you're just better off keeping him. And I think you do need some veterans, but you look at Carter Hart, the depth in the goaltending position with a Sam Ursan and a Felix Sandstrom, although Sandstrom's probably more of a backup in the long term. And now you get back Cal Peterson, who's under contract for two years. You don't want to buy him out right away. You could bury him and play him in the in the minors with an Ursan. He went through waivers then, last year. Yeah. He'll go through so waivers again pro- with that contract. Yeah, you you probably could sneak him through, or not even sneak him through. You could probably could get him through waivers ra- rather easily. But then it's also like, do you want Sam Urson to, you know, play splitting time with Cal Peterson in the minors? And then there's the question of Sandstrom. I don't think they want to lose Sandstrom for nothing. I think they like having Felix Sandstrom as a backup. I Even if he's not a starter long-term, I do think they like his game. So now you have four guys, in my opinion, as of today, that have some form of expectation of being an NHL goaltender next year, or at least getting a fair crack at it. And you could do that with three, but I'm just, I don't really know if you could do that with four. Like, could you have two non-content goaltenders in the minors? Now, look, there's a possibility that Cal Peterson shits the bed again in training camp, and he's just as bad as he was last year. But based on what I heard about maybe his camp expecting to get a fair crack in the NHL, how could you make that assumption if you have Carter Hart as one of the goalie and another young goaltender who I don't think would get through waivers? So I really do think that there was maybe a, maybe not a promise, but something said to Peterson's camp that there maybe is an expectation that he will have a legitimate chance to be in the NHL next year. Because Jay, like even if Cal Peterson plays well in camp, do you think that there's any possibility that they wave Felix Sandstrom to keep Peterson in the NHL? No, you, you, you the guy, you can still bring Arison up and down because he's waiver exempt. And, you know, Sandstrom's got a much higher chance of being claimed than Cal Peterson because of the contract. So yeah. he'll clear, you know, $5 million. He's going to clear. <laughs> he's got this year and next on it still. So, so. if you're actually expecting to get or if you're expecting to, Peterson to get a fair crack in camp and his camp is believing that he's going to get a fair shot in camp that means that Hart is probably not in in the equation here now things could change teams could not want to pay enough or pay up for him to, like things could fall through maybe contract negotiations don't go well yeah, but i just think by the way yeah he is restricted of course but i just think that as of today there's a lot of things being said, including Danny himself saying that we're going to see what we have in this guy in training camp that would lend it to believe that there is a Carter Hart domino to maybe fall in the coming weeks. Or, you know, this could be, you know, Danny playing it, playing it to the audience too, the audience of other GMs around the league. Right. I do think that as well. I, th- I think, I think with Danny, I think we're going to find out. We, I think we've seen it already with this first deal, but we're going to find out that he's very calculated and, you may not know why he says some of the things he says until the big picture becomes clear, but um, boy, that I just talked about, you know, in a rebuild, you have to incur risk, but you know how I am about that position. And 
I think it's really hard to judge where you truly are in a rebuild. If you can't get saves, you can't judge it because, and then it can just go on and on and forever. And you end up in a situation with Buffalo and Craig Anderson and they get rid of Omar and Ottawa. And it's just like a lather rinse repeat cycle of not being able to become a playoff team, even though you got good young talent and you're hoping that Sam Harrison becomes that guy. I mean, I know they, they know him well, right? But let's face it. Sam Harrison basically missed two years ago, the entirety of the season injured came in last year and played well, but is that enough in the history of goaltending? We know that it's about consistency over a period, a long period of time, not just a run. Cause a lot of goalies, the Hamburglar, Jim Carrey, you can go on and on and on the goalies that have gone on a run, but haven't been good NHL goalies. So there's a lot of risk in trading hard. Oh, there's a ton of risk, especially in this fucking town, right? Where it's been like this, as they call it a goalie graveyard. I think there's been some good goalies here. Like Bush had a great year here. A couple of years. Mason was really good, but, uh, you know, he had great numbers and was was a decent goaltender. I think that part gets overstated sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, boy, that's a risky endeavor. And I, I just wonder what the return is. Now, if he's going to sign a you know a five year extension on his RFA deal July first when he's available to, maybe that ups the return. But goaltending returns are generally not like they are for a defenseman. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Well, that's it. Like, I think the best comparable you can maybe get is the Darcy Kemper deal two summers ago uh, from the Coyotes. And I think that was a first and a conditional second. But you can't get that for Carter Hart. Like, I think you need an actual, like, impact roster player if you're bringing, if you're training Hart. Like, let's look at Toronto, let's just say, just for argument's sake. Like, they obviously don't have much in the way of prospects. They don't have much in the way of, of draft picks. But... You know, the first round pick of Boston, which I think is 28th overall, and Matthew Nyes, who was a college standout and played fairly well in the playoffs with the Leafs before getting knocked out with injury. Could it be something centered around that? I think it would have to be more. Maybe you throw in somewhat of a reclamation project of Nick Robertson. But I think that you would need a high level draft pick but you would also need a decent level prospect and a guy who could step in right away. And the Flyers do need left wings. So if you go to Montreal, that's a different story. You would have to really look at what they want to give up. I do think that you, maybe you could try and pry the fifth overall out from under them. But I mean, would that have to be just a, a, a player for pick like Hart just for the fifth overall? There's an inherent risk with that. Like, you have to be very diligent when you make goaltender deals just because there's not enough of them. And it feels since Ryan Miller got traded to St. Louis and it blew up in their faces ahead of the 2014 playoffs, teams have kind of been reserved to give up hauls for for, uh, goaltenders. But this isn't just like a good goaltender in his late 20s who is going to a team to kind of put them over the edge. This is a goaltender who could really stabilize things for the foreseeable future. For a decade. Yeah, for a decade. And, you know, you look at a team like Toronto, and I I don't think Samsonov was bad by any stretch, but obviously they they could use stability at that position. I really like Joseph Wall from what I saw from him, but are you going to put all your basket, all your eggs in the basket of Joseph Wall? I think Ottawa is the team that needs him the most by far. 
But the problem with Ottawa is, is that they pretty much have no draft picks anymore for the next two drafts. They kind of dumped all those out with between Alex Dabrinkit and Jacob Chikrin and whatnot. So would you want to go after like younger guys? Like uh, what's a Boucher's kid there? Uh, Tyler Boucher? Tyler. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that Pierre Dorian loves that guy. So you would have to really try and pry a good guy. I think they also have Ridley Gregg, if I'm not mistaken. They do. Yeah, so you, yeah. So if you have, if you're going with Ottawa, you're probably looking at some prospects who are already getting some seasoning. So it's a very tricky deal to be made, but it really feels like given where the Flyers want to go here and that they really want to prioritize drafting in the future, I mean, they already kickstarted it with Carter Hart, but you could put it into complete overdrive if you, or they kickstarted with Provorov, but you could put it into complete overdrive if you go down that road with Carter Hart. Yeah, boy. I'm, I'm going to wake up tonight with fucking cold shivers thinking about that. Going home, man. Now we're crossing our fingers on the goaltending position again. Because I think Carter's been really good despite what's been in front of him the last couple of years. And I think his game has grown, and I think he's got all the mental makeup and physical skills and everything to be one of the top goaltenders in the league. And oof, that gives me, that gives me a lot of anxiety. And boy, I thought I was going to bed tonight, just wondering about the Mark Stone, Sean Couturier debate that was oh earlier gosh. today. Yeah. You know, I do think there's some validity to that, that it shows that I don't think Couturier is going to be, you know, wheeling around in a wheelchair out there. I still think he's going to be a good hockey player. Do I ever, do I think he was ever the same caliber as Mark Stone? No, I think Mark Stone. Not was offensively. Pretty, no, not offensively at all. No. Like I really do think Mark Stone at one point in time was one of the best wingers in the NHL. But I think it goes to show that just because you're coming back from a serious injury, that it doesn't mean that you're going to just be complete a shadow of yourself. Right now, yeah. look, it isn't apples to apples. Katori got into league at, 18 i think mark stone it took him a bit more time john katori obviously had missed way more time than mark stone has but i've always said not overall can, though not overall Couturier has been over over the 10 years katori has played about 200 more games oh no i meant to consecutively like this stretch. oh yeah yeah, yeah. so oh, okay, like yeah yeah so for that like mark stone's obviously been battling injuries probably going back to his ottawa days yep. but the back yeah, so I, I don't think that could do I think Katori's gonna come back and be a point per game player? No, I don't. But I do think that he's probably gonna come back and be a 60 65 point player. And if he could give you that and still be more or less the same defensive caliber player, that contract's fine. And it gives you stability down the middle. And you know, I've been talking about this a lot, but they still need that top line center. But if let's say Morgan Frost game still stays at least on the same level or stays a bit more and it improves a bit and you see what Cates has done and Ben Wyang and a healthy Couturier, all of a sudden they're not in desperate need for centers anymore. They just need that one top line guy to hit to properly slot everyone moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing, like I, I think we tend to think that surgery means death. <laughs> it, it doesn't the medical advances and the way they can repair people now is it's incredible like guys that had injuries like i mean if bobby Orr was around today right like i mean he couldn't play because his knees just were shot but they didn't know how to fix them then <laughs> properly <laughs> so he just got compounding it more and more and more um let's wrap it up here with this last comment from michael he says hoping all these years of 
Jonesy watching how he make moves for draft picks with the Eagles while at WIP with Angelo uh, was him and Danny B wanting to bring that creative aggressiveness back to the Flyers. I know Jonesy mentioned Dan um, mentioned Howie and that that's the model and Howie has, I've been critical of Howie, but you got to give him, he's got balls big enough to carry in a dump truck. He's creative. And if there's a big name out there that can help his team, he is always in the conversation. And that's the, that's something the flyers have been for most of their existence when that has happened. So I'm sure Jonesy did pick up on that because he did mention it. And I know that Angelo probably beat into us every day, even though Angelo was highly critical of Howie Roseman. Oh, he's horrible. But anyway, let's wrap it up there. And great job on the reporting. Uh, keep uh, Ant's uh, Twitter handle at your disposal in the fourth period.com as well at a DeMarco 25. Everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And uh, as, as news breaks, we'll be popping in and out of your timeline and we'll be back next week for sure as well. So everybody, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time on stick to hockey live.